take your Bible and find the New Testament book of Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2, last week and we'll finish up Acts chapter 2 this week. What a wonderful reminder as we were singing that Christ is able, and you notice the song before, he is my story. I bet that's what the early church was doing in Acts chapter 2. What do you think? They were singing and praising and reminding one another that he is able uh, to, to seek and to save that which was lost. And as the, as the early church was gathering and they were living this life together, they were literally looking at one another, I believe, and thinking about the thing to the Lord because the scripture tells us that. And they were just saying, hey, this is my story. This is our story, what Christ has done for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's a two-week message. The faithfulness of the church. What a great picture of what that should look like. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread together in their homes, and they received their food with glad and their generous hearts. In verse 47, and they were praising God... And they were having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of the gospel. Lord, we're thankful for your faithfulness through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also grateful for the picture of a church that is faithful. Faithful to the things of you, but also faithful to one another. Lord, I pray that we understand that this morning, that we believe it, that we receive it, and Lord, that we're willing to live that out. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit this morning. We thank you for the precious gift of your word so that we may know you and know how you would have us to live. And this we just praise you for, and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, for the sake of time, I'm not going to preach last week's sermon again. But it was a two-part message here. One, they were faithful to the things of God. Notice the early church. They had just been saved. The Holy Spirit had come upon the church, the same Spirit that that comes upon us the moment that we are saved. And the, the Spirit came upon them, and Peter stood up and preached very clearly, very passionately and very boldly the gospel message of Jesus Christ and what it means for someone to understand who God is and their need of redemption and responding to the gospel in in a salvific way by repentance and faith and we see thousands of people become believers in Jesus Christ and so what do thousands of believers do once they've given their life to Christ they become the church And it says that they assembled and they were devoted. That word devoted, we looked at last week, it means to be continually steadfast over something. There's this idea of of an earnest desire of something. It's something that, that, that is 
crucial in your life, something that is the utmost important in your life. It's a, it's a single focus. It's a driven purpose. And a lot of times I think when we think about the church, where this church was not like a lot of our churches today, churches today, the church is a day of the week. A church is something that we go to. A church is a, a, a service that we attend. Well, the early church didn't look at it that way. They were continually steadfast to the church. They understood what it meant to be redeemed and be part of something different. The church literally means to be called out and separate. It's called out from the world and, and into redemption. And so the early church understood what the church was all about. And they were earnestly seeking and desiring the things of the Lord that were different from the world. Because the church is in the world, but not of the world. And so the early church understood what it was to be a church. I think today we mix that up. A, a church is something we know we need to do. I've even had people tell me, Pastor, I know I hadn't been to church in a while. I need to start saying, no, you haven't been to church in a while. Instead of been to, you haven't been the church in a while. The church is a group of people that are born again and we do life together. And they were devoted and earnestly steadfast to the, to the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles. Notice there, the preaching of the word of God, the truth found in scripture. They were devoted to fellowship. I'm coming back to that. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were devoted to the things of God, the breaking of bread communion the lord's supper which we'll observe today they were devoted to prayer seeking the face of god this was all last week you can go online and you can listen to it if you weren't able to be with us next week and it fits into where we are this week but there was an individual desire within them because of their nature they just loved god and the things of god how simple is that? When we love God, we are naturally going to love the things of God. Because we have been born again. But today I want us to look at, they were also devoted to one another. To the people of God. Now, if you've got your bulletin, it's been in there for several weeks. There's this idea of, of cultivating koinonia, this word for fellowship. Look right there in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. If you look at that in the, in the original language of the Greek, that word is koinonia. And so when you, when you think about taking Greek as a, a class in college or seminary, you say, okay, well, what does that word koinonia mean? That word koinonia means it's coming together, but it's for a spiritual purpose. It's not just socializing. Socializing is not bad. Socializing is, hey, did you see that game last night? Hey, did you see the picture of my granddaughter? That's socializing. How was your week? Good. How's work? Good. How's everything going? Good. That's socializing. That is healthy that we do that. Fellowship, koinonia is different. Socializing says, hey, did you watch that game last night? Koinonia might say something like this. What's God doing in your life? The early church was devoted to one another's spiritual relationships. Notice in the bulletin, what is koinonia? Christian communion with God and fellow believers. 
It's the idea of coming together with God and coming together with other believers as we live life. We'll talk about that in a moment. Christian fellowship pertaining to the matters of God. Common interest with others in the things of the Lord. The idea of believers doing life together. as being united in Christian purpose and serving alongside each other. I would also add it's this idea of partnership in sharing. That we understand that we are in this together as we live the Christian life. Have you ever tried to do anything on your own? It's not very successful, is it? We don't live the Christian life on our own. That's why we have the church. It's the idea of stimulating each other to this life of holiness and faithful. It's the idea of just loving the Lord and loving one another. That we look into the eyes and the minds and the life and the hearts of one another and there really is a concern for their spiritual life. Now, could you imagine what a, a church would look like as if we gathered this morning and we look around and say, I really have a concern for not only my walk with the Lord, but I am concerned about others' walk with the Lord. I've often said about a family, a family and a church are the same to me. Can you imagine going to a family reunion and you know you've got some issues? You know, you're part of a family. And a lot of our families are like this right now. I'll take my own family. We've got some some medical issues in our family now. And when you have those types of things going on, there's an, an attention, a concern. There's a burden for that individual and you are concerned about their well-being. You're reaching out to that person. What can we do to help? How can we pray for you? To me, that is what biblical koinonia is. That we look out into our church and there's that concern for one another where they are in Christ. Koinonia is not selfish. One of the things that we struggle with is selfishness. We naturally want what we want. Even in regards to fellowship, I think we're very selfish. Have you ever thought about relationships, how different they are? I am a big group guy. Does that make sense? I'm a big group guy. I like the big group. I like knowing, having many friends. And I'm okay with that. But I'm not a a one-on-one guy guy. That makes sense? That makes no sense, do it? I do not have intimate, close, best friends. Does that make me weird? No, it's not weird to me. I think anybody that does not like me is weird, right? So, you know, th- throughout my ministry, throughout my life, I have had people that have said, well, I just want to be your friend. And I thought, well, you are my friend. Well, no, you're not my friend. I'm going, well, sure, you're my friend. I know you. You're my friend. Tim, you're my friend. And somebody might say, but I don't do friends like that. I need two or three really good friends, and that's all. You know what I say to that? That's good. God has made us all differently. I get real uncomfortable when I think about one friend only, an intimate-type relationship with two or three. I, I get real nervous. But I love having a lot of friends. Because that's the way I'm wired. 
A lot of times in fellowship, we look at fellowship that way. Well, pastor, now I don't fellowship that way. I didn't say you did. Pastor, you, I don't fellowship that way. I didn't say you did. I know that we're all individual people. We got front row people. We got back row people. We got people that won't talk to anybody. We got people you wish they wouldn't talk at all. But that's the family, isn't it? Could you imagine if every one of our children acted the exact same way? Could you imagine as, as families, if, if we all behaved and acted the same way, and even now I'll sit there and I'll watch my daily video of my granddaughter. You can subscribe to a certain feed and you can watch the videos as well. But the way Georgia Ann loses focus and looks out the window at random moments in conversation, that's Beck all over it. In her little universe, that's perfect. The car rode by. She'll just be talking on the video and the car rides by and Georgia Ann looks. That's, that's genetic. I get that. But some people don't get that. So when we're talking about koinonia, we're not talking about a cookie-cutter koinonia here. We're not talking about, it. okay, i got to talk to 10 people today and cultivate koinonia. I've got to ask 14 people, how can I pray for you today? What is God doing? No, I, no, my point is, we just, in who we are, the redeemed child of God that we are, love other people, care about other people, and been willing to do what God has called you to do, to pour your life into other people. So often we have turned a church into an event, into a, a, a one day a week we sit and we listen and we observe, but that's not what the church is. And I think we'll see that here. It is a partnership of sharing and doing life together. Listen to 1 John Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Listen to the Apostle John. He's saying, listen, we have seen it, we have believed it, we have touched him, and the life was made manifest, and we have seen him, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. John is saying, listen, we have seen Jesus. We have met Jesus. We have received the gospel message of Jesus. It is very real. Then verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship, koinonia with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The moment that someone receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior by repentance and faith, we enter into koinonia fellowship with one another and with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the church. Our personalities are different. Our gifts are different. Our preferences are different. How boring would it be if everyone acted just like me or Tanner or Joy? If everybody was like Joy, we'd do puzzles. Who wants to do puzzles? I've gotten a text from Joy and her family going, tonight's puzzle night, oh we? And I, thought I would jump off a building if I had to do a puzzle. But that's okay. We need puzzle people. 
We need people that look out the window when the car rides by in the middle of a conversation. When I think about coming to church, I'm not thinking about my little sermon notebook and my, and my Bible and I got to get there and do this and got to get there and do that and I'm walking in the building. No, I grab these things because that's what God has called me to do. But when I think about coming to church, my prayer is I'm thinking about you and one another. And throughout our church, God puts those people that are great with intimate one-on-one relationships. And he puts those people in our midst that are not as good as one-on-one intimate relationships, but they're so much better in larger relationships. Maybe not touching as many intimately, but they're touching more in a different way. But everywhere in between needs to be you and I. And to be devoted to one another, to koinonia fellowship. Because we have fellowship through the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Son and the Father and the Spirit. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holies of holies by the blood of Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, because of what we have in Jesus Christ, the rest is true. By the new and living way that he opened up to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, because of what Christ has done for us, because of what we have in Christ, notice verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We can come to Christ. We should come to Christ. We should worship Christ with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering we draw near we hold fast to who we are in Christ for he who has promised us is faithful that's assurance I I hold fast I draw near to Christ because what he has done for us verse 24 let us consider Let us think about it. Let us work on it. Let us make every effort. Let us consider how we may stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. This is one of the preacher's favorite verses about coming to church. Let us not neglect meeting together is the habit of son, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Yes, it does say, and I've used it before, don't neglect meeting together. Come to church. Don't neglect meeting together. But it's not just about coming to church. It's about stirring one another up. How many conversations do you have every week? I'm that way. You walk out of a, it just seems like a very insignificant encounter. You just kind of bump into somebody and, and 15 minutes later you've had a conversation with them and you walk away and go, glad I talked to them today. That encouraged me. Just a, a few minute talk on the aisle at Walmart, my favorite place. I just, I've been encouraged by that. It could be a phone call. It could be a a talk in the aisle of a church. It could be this idea. I got one that will stir you up a little bit. How about this little conversation I just had? Curtis Nelson comes up to me and goes, by the way, 
the tumors in the brain are gone. You don't get that sitting at home. That only happens when you're with your family. I could sit home and watch anybody on TV, but I bet they didn't have the choir we had today. I didn't want to be a distraction, Joy. I was trying to figure out how to stand up on the pulpit and take a picture of the whole choir. You don't get that sitting at home. You don't get that if you're not part of a, a small group. I know you. Big group, I know you. But I know those 12 people I went to Gatlinburg with. I know more about them than you want to know. Because we make the effort of getting to know one another. You know, there may be times that you say, I don't feel like coming to church today. Okay, I get that. There are a lot of days I might not feel like doing a lot of things, but Sharon reminds me you're going to do them anyway. But I'm not coming to church for me. I'm coming to church to someone that I may stir up. Come early, hang out. Stay late, hang out. Stir each other up. We can make a slide after the sermon's over with. The stirring up time has now begun. Hanging out, fellowshipping, just getting to know one another, sitting near people, talking with people, doing life together. That's what the early church was about. And that's what made them so effective. Real quick, I want to walk through just these phrases and let us think about some things. They were devoted to one another, the body of Christ. Notice, notice the words there. Verse 31, they. That's a simple word, they. They were together, they. They, they came to Christ and said, okay, now that we're, we're a Christian, we belong to you all. We're, we're Christians now. And the word is that we all are Christians and we're following Christ. We're in this together. They came together. And you see what happened. Verse 43, after they were devoting themselves to the things of the Lord and they devoted themselves to one another, guess what happened? All came upon every soul. Now here's a, a, a unique take on this thing. We sit there and we read that. and we're Baptists, okay? So you'll understand that if you've got a Baptist background. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now preacher... We're Baptists. What does that mean? It's like we're trying to figure out a way to explain that verse where we can just sit there and show no emotion in anything we do. Amen? Because they got together, God showed up. We get together, we're just trying to stay awake for an hour. And so we... We try to explain what this means because Baptists don't do that. Well, Baptists may not do that, but the early church did it. And when the church got together, God showed up. Amen? When is the last time God showed up in your life? Been a long time, hadn't it? When the people of God get together, God shows up and God does things that only God can get the credit for. 
That's all and wonder and sign. That is God showing up. When is the last time God showed up in your life? When is the last time that something came out of our life, corporately or individually, that God got the credit for? It could be that we're not devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of the prayer, bread and to prayer. And if we were devoted to those things, God would show up. I wrote that down. When is the last time God did something so supernatural in our individual life and in our corporate life that only God could get the credit for it? That's what I pray for. God, do something so glamorous and great in my life that there's no way in the world I could get the credit for. I'm tired of getting credit for things I can do. I want you to get credit, God, things that only you can do. So in other words, Baptists, God did some supernatural things in their midst, and it's okay for God to do supernatural things in our midst. It's not just Pentecostal charismatic that ought to experience that. Now, we're not talking about running around, flipping on aisles and doing all kind of crazy stuff. We're just talking about people getting saved, people growing in their faith, and supernatural things happening. And I cannot think of a more supernatural thing than a dead man becoming alive through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in their likeness of Christ in local church. That is supernatural. All who believed together had all things in common. Does that mean that all people were together and they did everything just alike or they believed everything just alike or they practiced everything just alike? No, they had all things in common. Those things in common was one another, the gospel witness, the gospel mission, the church of Acts. That's what they had in common, what the Lord Jesus Christ had asked them to do as the people of God. That's what they had in common. So everything they did, they filtered through that. Is this what God wants us to do as a church? Is this going to glorify the Lord? Will this enable the gospel to go forth more freely? Can more people come to faith in Christ? Or more people grow in daily in their likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ? They had all things in common. It goes on to say that they were selling their possessions and proceeds to all who had need. They don't go, you know, I'm not going to say everybody sell all your stuff and give to me. But what had happened to the church is they had come in for the celebration of Pentecost in Jerusalem from all over creation and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they get saved. So there's thousands of people here. They have nowhere to go. They just started selling their stuff so that they could take care of one another. They want to know, I promise you in the early church they didn't have a percentage of what to give. They gave it all. That's a good tithing sermon. I tell people all the time, the Old Testament says 10%. Jesus said, give me all you can. For the sake of the kingdom of God. Not a kingdom down here, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. They were attending the temple together, verse 46, breaking in their home with glad and sincere hearts. I think we see what's going on here. There's a formal Day-to-day, there's a formal worship, the corporate body of Christ, but there's also an informal worship. Every one of us need to have relationships within the church. Every one of us need to have relationships outside the church. They may be evangelistic. They may be more discipleship. But every relationship we have, there ought to be a gospel reason we have that relationship. We need to do it well within the church. We need to do it well outside the church. We need more friends than who we go to Sunday school with. 
We need more friends and people we just associate with in a building. They were meeting in houses. They were meeting in worship. They were formal. They were informal. I think that's a healthy church. Verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number. Now we need to be careful with that having favor with all people. Here's my definition of having favor with all people. We never compromise truth and we stand on the word of God and we live our life accordingly and we treat people biblically. It doesn't mean they're going to like us. Having favor with all people does not mean, world, what can we do to make you like us more? World, what if we what do we need to do so that you would feel more comfortable with us? That's not what that means. What that means is that I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a born-again believer. I love him and I love his word. I'm going to bear the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to live in such a way that whether or not they believe me or not, they know that I'm sincere and they know that I believe what I believe. And they also know, and here's what's missing in our culture today that I still love them. I can look at somebody dead in the eyes and say you're absolutely wrong, but I love them so much I want them to embrace the truth. So as a church, we stand on the truth uncompromisingly, but we still have to love those that do not know the truth. We have favor based on the truth that we stand on and the desire that we have that they might know the truth. I was told in a previous ministry setting, I may have been said about me here, I don't know. I have been told by another ministry setting, I don't really believe what he believes, but I like him because he believes what he believes. This was a lost man in our community that I've been witnessing to. He goes, I don't really believe what he believes, but I like that he believes what he believes and he's consistent. Having favor with all people is when we live our life like we love Jesus Christ. Having favor with all people is believing in a biblical truth and being bold enough and loving enough to stand on that truth. One of the problems that we have no favor with all people, we're so wishy-washy. It's whoever we are around is who we sound like. We're like theological chameleons. If I'm around this person, I sound that way. If I sound this person, I tell people I I believe the word of God and I stand on it and I will never compromise on it. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Right will always be right and wrong will always be wrong. And there are many issues that that touches. God will bless and honor that. And we will have favor with all people. Day by day. It's more than a day of the week. It's more than just a program or a particular class This church had Cornelia Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And the Lord added to them day by day those who were being saved. What a great foundational launching pad text for the church. Because you know, even today, I mean, even in our current culture, we watch the news, we watch 
all of the craziness that is on TV and we're going, what in the world is going on? These people are crazy. But here's the truth. Yes, the world is crazy. The world is lost and depraved and they are hopeless and they are helpless without the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Jesus would have showed up in them Senate hearings, it wouldn't have lasted five minutes. But when you have Senate hearings without Jesus, that's what it looks like. That is, I, somebody write that down so I can remember. You may tell you what life without Jesus looks like last week on the news. That's a great word right there. When your focus is not on the lordship of Jesus Christ, of what aisle you walk down a political party, when you live in a, a crazy world that we're faced with that, that is, that is the outcome. Corruption and confusion. You can't tell right from wrong. Who's lying? Who's not lying? Who's testimony? Who's not testimony? There is one testimony that is sound and true, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If we stand on him, we'll make a difference. And the only way we're going to see people born again and brought into the kingdom of God and part of the household of faith is to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ, to believe it and to live it out and to share it. That's it. Our hope is in nothing else today. I think about raising children, raising, we got generations. How do we raise kids today on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God? How do we do anything today by the authority of Jesus Christ and the authority of the Word of God, being devoted and steadfast to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to holy communion and prayer with God? Then the Lord added to the number those who were being saved day.